Support for this program comes from Tiger Lily Communications, public relations, content creation, publicity, and marketing for creatives. We make you look even better. Find out more at T-I-G-E-R-L-I-L-Y communications.com. everyone and welcome to Speak On It, the podcast where the creatives tell their stories about what they do and why they do it. I'm Felicia Hodges and today we're representing an interview with nutrition educator and certified yoga instructor Saida Hafiz, who has been teaching the benefits of yoga and eating a whole food diet to children and adults for well over 20 years. Known for her healthy lifestyle public speaking engagements, she is also the author of The Healing, One Woman's Journey, from Poverty to Inner Riches, a memoir she wrote several years ago. We first sat down with her in 2015, shortly after her memoir was released. She told us then that her journey began with a question, the one that she asked herself when she graduated from college and began working in corporate America. And I thought, oh, how do I take care of myself? And so I found myself taking cooking classes and joining a health club. And when I took those classes, um, actually, I thought I was getting into like a Julia Child's creams and sauces class, but it turned out that I didn't read the brochure carefully and landed myself in a holistic healing class where we were talking about how certain soups can reduce fevers. And if you um, eat certain broth, it can reduce your cholesterol um, or certain grains. But it all sounded exciting and not necessarily unfamiliar. So I just decided to continue taking those uh, food courses. And when I started the health club, I didn't know what yoga was, but I thought I'm only joining this club if they have yoga. And finally got myself into a yoga class. And, and this was the yoga from 25 years ago where, you know, it's not quick vinyasa or really athletic. And still, I couldn't do the whole class. I would have to come out of postures halfway through. It was really um, hard for me. And I realized that my body was not in the physical shape that it needed to be. But then also in this class, mysteriously, I heard this voice saying that I would be teaching this. And so from that point on, I decided to continue with the yoga. And even though it was a challenge for me, um, and started to integrate the food and yoga together and found myself on this path of healing. As many of us know, there can often be a big leap between starting a thing and then documenting that journey by writing about it. I was curious as to how that process came together. Well, the process of actually putting the book together took some time. And I got to a point where, and this is about four or five years ago, where I had um, before then taken all of these classes on how to you know, write essays and memoirs and articles based on what I've learned with the food and yoga. And I had a teacher who challenged me and said, what's the book that you want to write? And so at the same time, I was studying and still studying um, transcendental meditation and the more I continued with that practice twice a day, 
20 minutes um, each session, I would go deeper and deeper into understanding what kind of book I wanted to write. So I just decided to take a pencil and a notebook paper, a composition, a notebook paper that we use, you know, for testing in college. (laughs) And I just sat down and started writing in pencil. What do I want to say? And the audience member that I had in front of me was my niece, because I thought, I want to tell her kind of what happened in our family and what went on and why I have chosen to live this life of holistic nutrition and yoga and wellness, which is very different from my brothers and sisters. And so I just wanted to basically write her this letter. And then the next thing I knew, every single night after my full-time job, I found myself in a cafe writing for three to four hours straight with a pencil and just telling the story. When I sat down to do this, it would start with this episode that happened to me after Uh, three days of eating non-processed food and cooking all my meals from scratch and not having sugar in my diet, I would have these violent flashbacks to my childhood. And while having these flashbacks, I felt that, you know, like something was wrong, but I felt like I was on the right track to healing it as opposed to being too afraid and trying to mask it or, or stuff it down. So that's what I was doing. I was writing and then I was just taking that episode from the bus, writing out, you know, very vividly what those flashbacks were like, because I didn't do that before necessarily, even though I journaled. Um, so it was even more crystallized um, as I was writing, you know, going into the flashbacks. And again, each day after work, I'm pulled to this cafe and I would just write and write. And by the end of the month, I felt like I had a, a whole thing. And it, at this time, it was only 128 pages in pencil. And I used some of the things that I had from other classes that I knew I wanted to insert. So I didn't have to write out every single detail if I knew I had you know, an essay that I could pull from a class that I had taken seven years before. <laughs> so I just kind of kept all of those things. And then I decided, well, okay, now it's all in pencil and it's in a composition notebook. Now it's time to type it up, draft two. And that's how I looked at it. And I took six weeks, which I thought would be easier to type it up. But then I was pulling in all of the information that I had had from other classes and then ended up, I can't remember exactly how many pages, but I thought, I want to show this to my initial memoir teacher and ask her, do I have anything here? And so she responded by saying, because, you know, part of the um, the joke or how I joke is that in these writing classes, I was the worst. I mean, people had MFAs and, and I was really surprised that, you know, people had degrees in writing were still coming to these workshops to learn more and get support. And I thought, oh, is that how this is done? Meanwhile, you know, I have a business degree. My writing's atrocious. But everybody was supportive in tell your story. And that's where the juice is. So I took it to my teacher. And when I showed her what I had, she she was kind of astonished. She said, wow, your writing has taken leaps and bounds from where it was. And I think because I started to have 
complete thoughts that were flowing from one space to the next. And then from there, I hired uh, another writing coach who had also written a memoir already. And then we just sat down week after, or about every three weeks. And that took eight months. And by the end of that, I had something around 400 pages. So that's sort of how the process started. A letter to my niece ending up with 400 pages that I'm not embarrassed by. And, and even when I finished with her, she said, okay, now real editing begins. And then from that point on, the, the next few years, I was just writing and rewriting. Okay, so there's two um, processes. One is, it was about five years ago from that question, what kind of book do I want to write? And then I had my head down, nose to the grindstone, and basically finished within about four and a half to five years. Before then was about 10 years of the concept I had that an editor and an agent was, um, excuse me, a publisher and an, an agent was interested in. I was writing a sort of a how-to book. And so that was probably 1997 where I thought, oh, I'm learning all these new things about yoga and food and I just want to develop a calendar so I sent out all these queries to all of these publishers to say, hey, how about publishing um, this functional calendar? And basically everyone was turning me down. But one uh, publisher said, well, we love this idea, but we would like it in book form. And then that's what kind of got me off and running to the fact that, well, oh, okay, I'll just write a book. But then I realized I knew nothing about writing a book and what that means. And so... It took kind of 10 years to understand what it means to kind of put something in, in book forms. And now I see why people get master's degrees in this <laughs> um, and spend a lot of their time doing it because it, it's, not, um, it's not an easy or natural process for me anyway. But basically, th these ideas wouldn't leave me alone. There was always some little nag within me that said, take this course, do this thing, um, meet these people. And also when I moved to San Francisco from Pennsylvania, I really enjoyed the people that I was meeting in these classes. They were all people I would want to be friends with. So it was easy to keep signing up for the classes in that regard, um, although they were very expensive and not necessarily going towards a college degree. <laughs> and we'll be back with more from Saida Hafiz right after this. Stay with us. The Groove Pavement. Podcast, talk show, and movie review. Where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Catch a new episode each Thursday on Hudsey.tv, Facebook, and TheGroovedPavement.com. And we're back with more from author Saida Hafiz, who talks about the necessity of forging ahead and pushing past even the most unintentional opposition. A lot of us out here in the world have had people who encourage us in ways that are rude or not nice, um, or who have said things to us that are just horrible, 
and they don't know whether they're squashing us or not in terms of our spirit. No one can tell you how bright you'll shine, even if they feel that they know or they're going to say certain things to you with such certainty. And it's good to decide what you want to believe from anybody. And that's really helpful. And I, and I say that in relationship to the experiences of my siblings, because I was, as I was talking with you about sort of the journey of writing and sticking to it, I looked at several options. I thought, well, this is a great hobby. It's better than doing drugs. Yes, I'm spending money on it, but and maybe getting, you know, sort of a high from the learning and meeting different people. But this is how I want to spend my time. And it's constructive and exciting. And it's, you know, creating a a better version of myself. And so I figure at this point, all I had was time. Why not stick to it, even though it was hard and sometimes painful to to write and the self-doubt and all of that. But yeah, when I compare it to what it is I could be doing, I would essentially be entertaining myself or vacationing or, you know, um, maybe being in bars too, too frequently. Um, but in this case, it was like, okay, I have a project I want to work on. This is how I want to spend my time. There's no reason to not do it. And if it never turns out to be anything, it's a, it was a great hobby. <laughs> that's, that's literally how I was, you know, tricking my mind of saying, okay, I don't even have to have a book at the end of this. I just want to participate in the learning. And her yoga journey was a learning experience as well. How about that humble beginning? Well, my journey from literally taking the yoga class, which was 90 minutes, and at the end it had a 20-minute savasana resting pose and so we're saying 70 minutes of you know bending and stretching was too much and here's how it was too much the instructor would say you know move your body a b and c way and hold it and then you were to hold it for several you know seconds or a minute and whatever the length was I was coming out of it halfway before the other students were coming out of it. And it was just, it was too much. So from that class and then hearing the voice about teaching it and then having this savasana that created such a peace for me that I hadn't really felt before where I wasn't asleep and I wasn't awake. And I was just sort of in this space where I felt that something was getting better. And that's probably the best way that I could describe it of just like, all right, something's healing here or something's getting better. So from that first class, I started to have, I would say, a healthy hunger where I just started to take the instructor's class. I was doing it once a week and she gave, she gave me a really good way. She said, when you start, commit to what you can commit to. It's like my grandfather with savings, you know, take it once a week and don't miss. And so I started to do that. And then she said, when you're ready to go to twice a week, that's your new beginning level. Only do twice a week. Don't try to do three times this week and then slack back to one. So she kept giving me these sort of incremental ways of 
uh, practicing. And so I started to do that and then and, and listen to my body at the same time. And showing up to me was the success. I didn't have to hold the position as long as anyone else. I just had to show up and do what I could. And if I decided I was showing up twice a week, that's what, that was my new you know, entry point. And then I went to three times a week, adding a different teacher. And so I sort of had this sort of healthy hunger for wanting to see what could happen. And then I noticed things within my lungs shifting and asthma seemed to feel better. And I kept in the back of my mind that voice of you'll be teaching this. And then I started to have yoga vacations where, you know, my friends, we were all getting these corporate jobs and people were headed to sort of, I guess, the corporate young spring break. And I was off to a yoga retreat and finding myself getting up at 530 in the morning and wanting that and having these, you know, yoga classes twice a day and meditation and all these things. So I sort of allowed myself to really get steeped into this way of life. And then I started taking classes around the world um, at different places just because I love to travel and I wanted to have an adventure. And it was great. So I became certified. I decided to kind of quit the corporate life and then go to one of these yoga ashrams, Shivananda, and become yoga certified and live on, on the yoga farm for, um, for a month and just basically live this lifestyle, which I really enjoyed and not that it was easy. And what I realized then was I also didn't have to be perfect in the poses um, to be a teacher. And so you was just basically do what I could as a teacher, helping someone grow and expand in their practice. And, and that's all I would try to own. And not that even teaching was easy. I, I had some bumps and struggles with finding the value of telling people to touch their toes and, and getting uh, paid for it, which I thought was interesting too. So every time I taught, by the end of it, I felt like something was shifting and healing and magical happening. And even though I would resist going to the next client or class, once I got there, things opened up and, you know, things that I had to look at. And that was, that, was, that still is pretty magical. Like I've, you know, I've been teaching over, it's, I believe 20 years now, and I'm still amazed with like, oh, this is really valuable and it's important and it's doing stuff for myself as well as the students that I uh, teach. And I'm feeling like I'm just now, you know, have created a body that's really ready to now study the, the physical form of yoga. My body sometimes now would naturally go into positions that are hard for people to do, but I don't want people to, to think that, oh, I have to have my body do this for it to be good at yoga, because we're all good at it. If you show up to class, you're good at it. And that's really all that's required. And I know there's different disciplines and and philosophies that may say something to the contrary, and, and that's their approach, which is fine. But for the students and the people that I want to follow and that are in my classes, showing up is the most important thing. And then we will take you where you are for that day and see how deep and far you need and want to go 
in the in the positions. It's really you know like a a recipe for that day, and really honoring and seeing that person for that day. It really is, I feel, unique to each person. I look at doing the physical Hatha yoga uh, positions as a communication. So it will tell me, it's feedback for my mind and body about what it is I might need for that day. Or it allows me to slow down enough to let my inner self tell me what it is I might want for that day. What I would say that people can or should expect is to be open to having the conversation with your body and your mind. Allow the body and mind to potentially surprise you. And if you go into it purely for exercise, you'll get a good stretch, which is great. And I'm not knocking that. There's many entry points into how you want to build a relationship with your mind and body. And that's where I'm coming from in terms of what yoga has done for me. And once you get, that's why I like the savasana at the end. A lot of people are quick to like, oh, what's this resting business all about? Well, it's the rest that actually allows you to feel the benefit of what was just practiced. And in that way, you might get sensations in the body of something sort of settling down or something might feel achy or you may need to give more attention here or you may feel like, oh, this is the only rest I've had all week. That's what I would say. Allow the practice to be a communication to you, allowing you to hear what it is that you truly need it and want and desire. And, and I think that's what yoga has, continues to be for me. It's kind of this nice barometer where I can't lie to myself that often anymore because it brings stuff to the surface. And so I have to consciously decide, okay, I know that this might be what I want and need, but still I'm going to choose the other thing. And, and that's empowering to even know that you're being conscious about all of your choices and that you're either accepting or not accepting something that is being um, presented to you. And although yoga is very important, it wasn't the only part for Saida that mattered. So we have the physical movements with the yoga, but then there was the intake of the food. And so the food was pretty powerful. When I got back to just really sort of the way, you know, my grandparents ate minus all the sugar, and making things from scratch, I realized that sugar is laced in every food product, it seems like, in America. And it keeps you on this really false high. And it keeps you kind of numb to certain things. Too much sugar is, is really acting like alcohol on your liver. When you, when you stop that, you're able to be more sober about life. And so for me, there's, you know, the yoga and the food was hand in hand. And again, it was that aspect of, okay, here I am performing this yoga, getting all of my organs and, and cells twisted and rinsed and, you know, all these things. Because yoga is a, a physical exercise that works on the, the internal organs as opposed to, I mean, it builds muscles and things of that nature. 
but the dynamics of it really sort of give the internal organs a bath and a cleansing. And then now I'm consciously eating foods that are to he- that are healing or improving each organ um, within the body and trying to eat in that balanced fashion. So when you start to kind of cleanse and rebuild these organs, they become uh, more fresh and they want they become more vibrant and they want to live life in a, in a different way. They don't sag, so to speak. And, and again, for me, this is a continued process and it's not that I don't indulge in a cocktail or two now and again or have a piece of cake at someone's birthday party, but I'm very clear about the balance that I need and where I want things to take me. So I don't want for people to forget how to start eating quality foods again just to get us back to a baseline of of really having our our body respond in a way that you know is more close to nature and not processed i look at it you know i was a computer science major and got my information systems degree at temple university and i do kind of take that sort of that aspect of garbage in garbage out but for the body it's not that simple but basically you want to take the highest quality of food and water that you can. You want to have the highest quality of exercise. And I include yoga and other uh, sports in that. And, and then get the deepest rest that you can so that you have this sort of good churning of what's going in your body, how you want to express it to the world, and how you want to recover as you sleep. It really feels like the ABCs of, of life. People are inviting me to speak and basically to talk about the basics. And it's just because we are removed from it. And, and it's nice to be reminded. And that's, I think, also, too, why I wrote the book. Just so, like, my niece knows that there was a natural progression as to how and why our family has expressed the kind of different lives that are being expressed and how... I looked at two basic things, food and yoga, to put me in a better way to live life more gently and more passionately. Her book, The Healing, One Woman's Journey from Poverty to Inner Riches, is an amazing tale full of epiphanies and connect-the-dot moments, detailing the very hard work that really goes into finding yourself. It's a very good read that I encourage everyone to pick up. And you can grab your own autograph copy and even a special discount for Speak On It listeners via the link in the show notes. For more about Saida, yoga, nutrition, and to enjoy a free guided meditation, you can log on to her website, Saida Hafiz, that's S-A-E-E-D-A-H-A-F-I-Z dot com. And that's our episode. You can follow Speak On It on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even Vimeo. Or you can email us at tigerlilycommunications at mail, justmail.com, to let us know what you think. The original music you hear is called Please Irene by Lynn Riley and the World Mix. And although we're hopefully nearing the end of this global pandemic, we can't really play outside yet like we used to. So do what I do and head on over to the band's YouTube channel to check out some of their past performances. Hopefully it'll satisfy your thirst for live music. Hope to catch you again soon. Stay safe out there.